Welcome to the Story Walk, a podcast by storytellers for storytellers, and we hope that means you. Whether you identify as a storyteller with a capital S, or if you just like to tell stories in your work, say as a teacher, librarian, counsellor or community leader. And not forgetting, if you're a parent or a grandparent, looking to share stories and values with your family. And since the Story Walk is presented by FEAST, the Federation of Asian Storytellers, our focus is on sharing Asian stories and celebrating tellers from the Philippines in the East to Turkey in the West and countless storytelling communities that lie in between. the very first episode of Story Walk. I am Rituparna Ghosh, your host of the month, and joining me as co-host is me, Meher Gehi. Both of us are storytellers from India. So Meher, the Story Walk story began after my webinar, Podcasting for Storytellers at Feast, sometime last year. Six of us came together. We've been stirring this walk for the past three months and now we are ready to serve our stories. Why don't you tell everyone about the making of this podcast? Sure, Rituparna. So when six of us met to conceptualize, we all agreed that the idea of this podcast would be to showcase the storytelling canvas of Asia. That's how Storywalk was born, to give our listeners a flavor of storytelling cultures and practices in Asia. After hours of reflections, fruitful discussions, meticulous planning and coordination, I feel so proud as episode 1 goes live. In the first episode of Story Walk, we take you into the heart of Korea. Listen to some delectable Korean stories in miso, dim sum and fortune cookie. And yes, of course, dive into Korea's traditional and contemporary storytelling with our very special Korean storyteller in Entree. Walk into the pantry, where you can listen to our Storywalk producers talk about the various ways in which we begin our stories. And to help you spice up your stories with tarka or seasoning, we have Roger Jenkins in the Story Clinic answer some storytellers' queries for you. In our first segment, Miso, we travel to Korea to listen to a delectable tale from Ansuk. Ansuk Kim is a member of the Federation of Asian Storytellers, FEAST, as well as the Korea International Storytellers Association. She helped organize the first Korea International Storytelling Festival in 2018-2019. She tells tales to children and adults. Before that, for 25 years, she ran an English academy helping children learn English after school. She says that now she has retired, she has more time to concentrate on storytelling. Onuri, the goddess of four seasons, Korean folktale. Once upon a time, there lived a wise old woman, Halmoni. 
and one day she found a crane holding a baby girl with its wings at the edge of the forest. Oh, what a poor thing! She brought the baby girl home to the village and said, Today, this baby girl came to us, so today is her birthday. Let's call her Onuri. And the people welcomed the baby girl. Harmony looked after Onuri. As she grew older, Onuri became a beautiful, kind, and brave girl. But in her heart, she missed her parents so much. Who are they? Why did they leave me alone? One day, Harmony said, Last night in my dream, I saw your parents. They are God and Goddess. They live in Wonchenggang Palace. Oh, Harmony, where is Wonchenggang? How can I get there? Oh, no. It's at the end of the world and only dead people can go. Oh, Harmony, please. I must go and meet my parents. Help me. If you really want to go, walk to the west for a day and night and look for a young scholar, Chang Sang. He is always reading books and studying. Ask him. So Onuri set off on her journey. No one person knew the way to Wancheonggang Palace because no one ever returned from the journey. So Onuri had to travel from one guide to the next, and each guide had its own problems. So as a return, they wanted a favor from Onuri's journey. The young scholar said, I am being punished by the heavenly king. I am stuck here, only reading books for ten years. How can I be free from this book prison? With the young scholar's guide, she met a lotus flower in the pond. And the lotus flower said, Why, among so many flower buds in this pond, am I the only one to blossom? I'm so lonely. Then the huge, fearsome serpent in the great river carried Onri to the other side and said, I wish to be a dragon and climb up into the sky. Oh, all my life I have collected magical marbles to fulfill my quest, but now I have three magical marbles. Still, I am stuck here. What should I do? Then, with the help of the serpent, she met the female scholar every day, Meiri Agishi. And the Meiri Agishi pointed Onri to where the heavenly maiden came each morning to fetch water. She said, I am cursed to stay here only reading books. How can I be free from my own prison of books? Oh, please ask your parents. So Onri promised them to ask her parents about the solutions. And the heavenly maiden also had an urgent problem. Her water bucket was leaking and she knew not how to fix it. But Onri 
who had grown up in a village and learned a lot from Halmani, the wise old woman, knew how to use her hands. She plucked the grass and coated it with resin and soon fixed the bucket as good as new. And joyfully the maiden brought Onri to the Wanchangang Palace where her parents lived. But of course the guard would not let her in and she fell down and wept. Oh, to have come so far and to be so close and yet to be denied entry. And she began to sing a song of the forest and the calling of a crane and the changing season of her young life. And her parents heard at last the father, mother, and daughter reunited with great joy. Her parents were in charge of Wanchengang Palace and the Four Seasons. So they just said to her, Sorry for your hardship, daughter dear, but you were always in our heart. We knew someday we would meet again. So we have waited and waited for you. We are so proud of you. They showed the girl around the palace, especially the four season doors on the wall. When the parents let her open the first door, she saw the spring flowers blossom in the garden and butterflies, bees buzzed around and she felt warm air and bright sunshine. Then she opened the second door. Oh, the leafy trees and Hassan fill the garden. Then she opened the third door. The leaves already turned into colors and the golden rice field waved in the breeze. Then the last door opened. Oh, the bare branches thickened with white snow and blizzard blue. She was amazed and enjoyed how the seasons connected each other. Then her parents said, You know, someday you will come here and look after the four seasons. But remember, you must keep the four seasons in balance and harmony. So Onri promised. Then it's time for Onri to say goodbye. She asked them how to solve those problems. She was asked from the guys, and they told her. So when she met the young woman Scala Mary, Onri introduced her to the young Scala Zhang Sang. Instead of spending time with books, they spent with each other and their spell broken and they were married. Onri told the serpent to keep only one marble. That's enough. Give away two. So the serpent gladly gave two magical marbles to Onri and immediately it was able to rise up and become a dragon.
and she told the lotus, You must let someone pick you, then the pond will be filled with lotus blossoms. Happily, the lotus flower asked Onuri to plug it, and as soon as she did, the pond was filled with beautiful lotus blossoms. Onuri finally finished her journey and returned to Harmony and gave her one of the magical marbles. She kept one marble and the lotus flower herself. And later, she became the goddess of four seasons after her parents. And she practiced her parents' teaching to protect the nature and keep the four seasons in balance and harmony ever after. That was such a warm and touching story about tracing one's origins. Indeed, Rituparna, it's left me with such a soothing feeling. Let's move on to our next segment, Dim Sum, where we have Rohini Vij from India narrating a Korean folktale. Rohini Vij is a professional storyteller, voice artist, educator, phonics trainer, drama coach, curriculum developer, and founder of Nutspace. She is on a mission to raise readers and is actively engaged with curriculum development for schools and her own edtech platform. She regularly creates audiobooks and podcasts for reputed publishing houses in India and has authored several stories for children. Long ago, when animals and plants could talk, a tiger was stalking through the forest in search of something to eat. When he fell into a deep pit, again and again he leaped and clawed at the pit, trying to find perches in its walls, but all in vain. The sides of the pit were much too steep. At last, the tiger gave up and called for help. But none came. The next morning, the tiger called and called until he was hoarse, but no one heard him. He collapsed at the bottom of the pit, exhausted and starving. With no way out, he knew he would surely die. But just then, he heard footsteps. Help! Help! called the tiger. And in a few moments, he saw a face looking down at him from the edge of the pit. A tiger? cried the man, quickly drawing back. Help! said the tiger. Help me and I will be indebted to you as long as I live. I would help you, said the man. And I sympathize with your plight, tiger. But you will only eat me once you're out of the pit. I'm sorry, but uh, I must be on my way. Stop! Please, don't leave me here! Begged the tiger. 
I swear to you that I will not eat you. I will be forever grateful. Help me, please. The tiger sounded so pitiful and sincere that the man went back to the pit. He assessed its depth, then searched the woods until he found a fallen tree. He pushed down into the pit so that one end was at the bottom and the other at the top. Quickly, the tiger used his claws and climbed out. And as soon as he was out, he at once pounced on the man, his mouth watering and his stomach growling with hunger. Wait, tiger! You promised you would not eat me. Is this how you show your gratitude to the man who saved you? I'm starving, said the tiger. What do I care about a promise when I haven't eaten in two days? Wait, cried the man. Ask the pine tree if it is fair for you to eat me. This is the least you could do after I saved you. All right, said the tiger. And so they went to the pine tree. And the man explained the situation. Fairness and gratitude, said the pine tree. What do men know of fairness and gratitude? You, you use us for shade. And then you cut off our branches and burn them to cook your meals and heat your homes. When we are full grown, after many years, you chop us down and make planks and boards and beams. You use us to build your temples, your homes, your ships, your furniture, your tools. You used a shovel with a handle made of wood to dig that pit. Where is your gratitude, man? Where is your fairness? I say, tiger, eat him, of course. Fill your belly with him while you can. Well, I think the answer is clear said the tiger, smacking his lips. But just then, an ox happened to be passing by. And the man cried, Wait, uh, the tree clearly bears ill will towards men, so let us ask that ox to judge. The tiger grudgingly agreed. And so the two of them presented their case to the ox. Well, the case is clear-cut to me, said the ox. Oh, you should eat him at once, tiger. From the time we oxen are born, we work hard for men. We carry their heavy loads on our backs. We pull their heavy plows to cut the earth for their planting. We work and work until we are old. And then what do men do to us? They slaughter us and eat our flesh. They use our skins to make all manner of things. Do we hear gratitude? Is their treatment of us just? I say, eat the man. Just as I thought, said the tiger. I am clearly in the right. Now I may eat you with a clear conscience. The man had resigned himself to his fate. When... A rabbit came hopping by. Wait, cried the man. Now what? roared the tiger. Give me one last chance, pleaded the man. Let's ask that rabbit to judge our case. Please, dear tiger, give me this one last chance. 
Oh, very well. But what's the use when you know the answer will be the same? Please, please, begged the man. All right, but this is the last time. I'm starving. So the tiger and the man told the story to the rabbit, who listened intently, looking first at the tiger, then at the man. After a while, he said, I think I understand the problem, but um, if I am to make a wise judgment, I will have to see the origin of your disagreement. Take me to the pit and uh, show me what happened. The tiger and the man led the rabbit back to the pit. The rabbit looked down and stroked his ear as if he was thinking really hard. Hmm, he said. I see the pit is deep, but I cannot quite see in my mind where the two of you were. Why don't you get into your original positions and uh, then I can come to a judgment? Eager to hear the rabbit's decision, the tiger leaped down into the pit. The man stayed at the rabbit's side and they looked down together. Well, said the tiger. Something is still not right, said the rabbit. This tree was not originally here, was it? No, said the man. Then let us remove it. The man pulled the tree out of the pit and rolled it to the side. Now I see, said the rabbit. Tiger, you were down there uh, unable to get out. And man, you were standing up here. And... Uh, that's when you heard his cries for help. Hmm, now you both are in your original positions. And this is right before the origin of your disagreement, right? So I think I can judge the case now. Well, said the tiger, what is your decision? I'm starving. Your disagreement was the result of the man helping you out of the spit. Before he helped you, there was no disagreement. And therefore, if you return to your original positions, the disagreement will disappear. Uh, uh, what? said the tiger. If the man had not shown kindness to you, tiger, this problem would never have come to be. No one, not even a man, should be punished for their kindness. And so my judgment is that, man, you go on your way. And tiger, you remain in the pit. And with that, the rabbit wiggled his little nose, flicked his little tail and hopped away happily into the woods. Wow, now that was indeed a clever rabbit. And Rohini's voice modulations brought so much life to the story. Where <laughs> this one has a story twin, a folk tale from India where the rabbit is played by a clever jackal. It's amazing to see how stories travel. True, Rituparna. In fact, I have read about the tiger and the rabbit appearing in many Korean folk tales. And we will know more about that in our next segment. On three, we spoke to Alicia Dongju Bang, a professional storyteller and passionate educator 
based in the Republic of Korea. She has delighted children and adults with her storytelling performances for years, and she now directs international storytelling festivals in South Korea. She is the founder of Story School, which is a unique storytelling school in Korea, and of Kisa, the Korea International Storyteller Association. Hi, Alicia. Welcome to Story Walk. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today. To begin with. We would love if you could tell us more about Korea and its storytelling culture. Thank you for inviting me. So my name is Alicia Dunjupang. I'm an international storyteller from South Korea. I'm organizing the Korean International Storytelling Festival. Um, storytelling culture uh, has a long history in Korea. It was very popular during the Joseon Dynasty. However, in the past 10 years, the English word storytelling has become popular in Korean society. Uh, during the Joseon Dynasty, people called Jeonggi-su, they travel around Korea telling folktales and reading stories out loud. Back then, uh, folktale readings and storytellers' performances were uh, easily enjoyed by the public mm, at street markets. Mm, also, yes, especially Han story, yes, is a traditional style of storytelling too. Yeah. So I believe that the whole idea of traveling storytellers is common to all Asian countries. All of us share the common heritage of storytellers traveling from one town to the other, gathering in marketplaces, gathering in city squares, in village, in village squares, and gathering people together to tell stories. Um, I read about Pansori, and I, and I believe it is a traditional storytelling form in Korea, and that it's been uh, declared as a masterpiece of oral and tangible heritage by UNESCO. Could you tell me a little more about Pansori? Uh, how is it practiced today? Um, and how has the format changed in contemporary times? Pansori is uh, yeah, declared as a masterpiece of oral, right? And tangible heritage by UNESCO, right? Pansori is the uh, Korean musical storytelling performance art that uh, comes from the traditional ritual chanting of shamans. So pansori is a generally performed by one singer and a drummer. And the singer holds a fan uh, in one hand and tells a long story by using song and narration and facial expressions so and gesture to create dramatic tension too. And the drama uses a rhythm to change their mood of the storytelling. You always say it's also, yes, it's a suddenly change their mood. Uh, so one story pulled from the other story uh, so comes next. So it's very important to true performer. And they are li uh, night long performances, if I'm not wrong. Uh, a pansori performance can go on for an entire night. Is that right? Yes, that's right. It's a very, it is such a very long so uh, performances. So eight hours or something. Yes, 
that's a so, lot of hard work and a lot of passion yes, required yes, yes, are there yes. are there pansori performers even today yes of course yes and but uh listening and all the korea actually so some of uh, pansori drummers or pansori protesters and they practice a lot and but listening and they are very huge and uh Sensory artist has a distance, the time limit, so to practice the, in August festival. So, um, but now the number of online performances and has increased. Many people had uh, the opportunity to meet and grand artists, storytellers. But um, wow, Alicia, that's so amazing to know about Pansori. The next thing I would like to ask you. is if a storyteller who's not from korea is from another culture and is looking for korean stories to tell what would you suggest where do they begin are there any native stories what kind of stories come from korea actually uh, as a sto- korean storyteller so reading about korean mythology uh, would be the best way to begin there are two types uh, the written literacy mythology in uh, traditional uh, historic uh, histories and mostly about various historical kingdoms and and much larger and much uh, diverse oral mythology and most native songs by shamans in uh, literature uh, if a storytellers from another cultures are looking for uh, traditional Korean story, uh, they should participate in Korean Storytelling Festival. Uh, that's lovely to know. We'll come to the Korean Storytelling Festival in some time. But before that, I wanted to speak to you more about Korean folktales. I have read that the tiger is considered to be a very important character in Korean folktales. He's considered courageous, but at the same time very gullible. Also, the rabbit, I believe, comes up in many Korean tales as a trickster. Could you tell us more about that? Uh, as a storyteller, I believe that the tiger and rabbit folk tales can read so much about the culture of our country. Yes, that's true. And tigers are a big part of our country histories and in art, in stories, and in Korean folk tale paintings. And it is called Minhwa. So historically, the tiger has been linked with the uh, Korean from the beginning of its history. Tigers uh, in Korea are symbol of strength and power, and are often seen as a guardian spirit and and protector of the Korean people. Some people even comment that. The Korean Peninsula itself resembles a tiger, waiting to pounce. Yeah, in Korea also, the rabbit is generally known as a symbol of fertility. During the autumn uh, Thanksgiving holiday, called uh, we call Chuseok, and Korean look at the full moon and look for a rabbit there, and then make a wish. So rabbits are sign, right? Yes, of course, rabbits are a sign of good luck 
also in many Korean stories, the rabbit is usually seen as being smart. So not too much tricky. Yeah. I really liked it how, uh, you know, I'm not going to go back and look at the Korean map to see whether it really resembles a tiger which is waiting to pounce. Amazing geography and, and geography lessons and, and storytelling coming together. That's fascinating. Uh, Alicia, tell us something about contemporary storytelling in Korea. What kind of projects do storytellers do? What kind of government support do storytellers have? So I would like to say, so uh, the representative project is the beautiful uh, story granny project. And uh, 2021, Korea found a public diplomacy project is also famous. And Korea Foundation public diplomacy project will support uh, the first Korea International Storytelling Festival. Mm. And yes, I want to say that the uh, yes, Korean uh, Beautiful Green uh, Storytelling Project. So uh, this project aimed at elderly Korean woman uh, age 56 to 74 uh, years old who are beautiful story uh, grannies uh, that deliver our old stories to children. So the project which has been uh, carried out by the uh, Ministry of Culture, Sports and Tourism and the Korea Institute of the uh, Natural Studies together uh, began in 2009. And with regards to the festival, we would like to know more. Could you tell us the format of the Korean Storytelling Festival and what role does it play in the country's storytelling culture? Uh, until now, I told you already, the local storytelling festival in Korea has been held as a small and festival to promote only the region. So, uh, however, uh, the Korean International Storytelling Festival has uh, successfully played a role in promoting Korean stories and storytellers around the world and enhancing the effectiveness and value of storytellers in Korea and uh, creating exchanges and bonds with the foreign storyteller, ASEAN or internationally in Europe and, and United States. And so it's very uh, important is to build up the bridge between two cultures. Yes, and also uh, the roles of the storytelling festival. Uh, the roles of the storytelling festival is to uh, protect our value uh, of story culture. The important thing is to be a storyteller who contributes to uh, society, especially Korean society, and help others and through what he or what she does. In particular, Last year and last year and this year, uh, I think the festival which can show uh, the power that stories have to comfort and heal in the midst of the great difficulties of COVID-19. I lost one of my family, so I feel much more um, deep uh, 
inside of the project is the um, is a responsibility and duty given to storytellers living in the 21 uh, centuries. Uh, in the past, uh, Korean storyteller told I told you Jeon Gisu and Korean storytellers told read stories to help uh, common people who couldn't read. So they helped them. So now I think as the director of Korean Storytelling Festival, uh, now because of COVID-19, I want the festival to have the role of helping people, society, uh, as we suffer from the pandemic. I want stories to be a kind of medicine to heal people, like an emotional vaccine. What a beautiful way of summing up uh, what storytelling means to you, what storytelling means uh, for you as a festival director, and what it means to be a storyteller, responsible storyteller who looks at stories as emotional vaccine, uh, healing people. And I thank you so much, Alicia, for talking to us, uh, for sharing your story, for sharing the Korean story. And we do hope that all those listeners who are listening to us at StoryWalk take a bit or a bite size, an enormous chunk of Korea with them. Oh, thank you so much for giving me the chance to talk about Korean culture. And 10 minutes is very, very short, but I hope I was able to uh, help people understand Korean storytelling culture better. Uh, I really appreciate the interest the Feast has in Korea. I think we can be great partners in the future. This year for World Storytelling Day is New Beginnings. And I think it's a great opportunity to speak to all my fellow podcasters in StoryWalk to find out how does each one of you begin your story or how do you begin your show? Do you have something very, very specific that you do? Roger? Well, I want to share if I'm going to be in a quiet place such as a library and I actually want to gather a crowd then I like to use I have a Zenko which is a tuned metal drum and it's quite sort of magical and mystical and I find it's a very soft way to kind of draw an audience and I will uh, walk through the space uh, hitting that and then as people arrive I will let them come and people can't resist the temptation to take the gong from me and... So that's a kind of a soft way to start a session. I think song, melody, rhythm is always a wonderful way to get your audience to lean in and listen to you. Anyone else who uses music? Meher? Yeah. Not an instrument really. Uh... And I don't have any particular way to start off my sessions, but I love infusing uh, music when I begin a story. 
so uh when i recently did a jewish folk tale i i infused a jewish folk song which went like hava nagila hava nagila hava nagila vein smeha now when you do this you also have to note the uh you know how it plays an impact or where it falls into the story when it comes to the character or the plot so it's very important to know the meaning of the song then when i do another uh, story which is about guru nanak dev ji who's the founder of sikhism i use a spiritual song which goes like sat naam sat naam sat naam ji wahe guru wahe guru wahe guru ji so i feel music is something that can really draw in people immediately i don't i couldn't agree more ritu what do you do uh so what i do is uh when i ch- start the story for the children i have this handmade uh, tambourine kinds and it has a soft sound and i love to sing the song it's time to be happy is now the place to be happy is here the way to be happy is to listen to a story and have a little story time and then everybody collects and they settle down when i start shaking it faster and faster and they start clapping their hands and everybody is ready for the story right great i do have a song that i usually begin my sessions with uh but it's not something that i always rely on i sometimes work on a little bit of a warm up i sing a song i i play a rhythm on an instrument so i have varied things but the song that i begin is a song which i picked up from a hindi film a very popular hindi film which uh, came out when i was a little girl and you have amitabh bachchan who is a very well known indian film actor known across the world he uh, happens to sing that song in his uh, voice so it goes mere paas aao mere dosto ek golpo suno so i have of course made it my own i use the word golpo which is the bengali word for story and i use the story and i use this word in its various different avatars in its li- in different languages so my song goes mere paas aao mere dosto ek golpo suno kahani suno kissa suno ek story suno so come to me my little ones and listen to my song little to my story listen to me a story in this language that language so the word story comes in in four languages and then i add depending on what the story is i can say haske suno roke suno kahani suno so of course and i add little things short story long story i do all of these physical um mimes as along with singing it so it just gets everybody to listen i pick up characters hathi ki suno like listen about a story about an elephant or a king or a queen depending on what it is i sort of change the words of the song and i give them little clues to tune in so yeah it's not a static song i use different songs sometimes right shireen what do you do well you've talked about songs and uh, using musical instruments um i like playing with rhythm and i also like doing call and response things and getting the audience warmed up 
So if I'm having a really young audience and uh, I'm telling them a, an animal story, I might uh, assume the form of an animal. For example, once upon a time, in a forest, there lived a small, white, furry, and most often than not, they will say rabbit. Um, and sometimes I say, if you want to listen to a story, when I say crick, you say crack. Crick. Crack. crack. There you go. It always works, especially with kids. And sometimes the adults join in too. And uh, sometimes I use body percussion, rhythm, all sorts of things. I like energizing. Oh, yes. I think you walk into an auditorium, walk into a classroom and you see a bunch of kids just bundled up and you want to do something to wake them up, shake them up so that they sit up and listen to you. For those of you who are listening to this podcast, Shireen, while doing her little act, became a rabbit and she picked up her fingers to make her ears and make a bunny face. Great. Okay, moving on. Krupa, what is your trick? What do you do? So I love telling Indian stories to non-Indian audiences as a way to share our culture, right? And I like to do a very traditional village opening, when I, especially when I'm telling to non-Indian crowds. So it goes something like this. Which means, Oh, the wise and the unwise and the young and old alike. I begin my story today, and usually I tell them what story it is at this point. So before I begin, please forgive me if I stumble along the way and bless me before I begin. And I love this because it, I feel it's a very humble way of starting our story, which is part of you know the culture of Tamil Nadu, which, where I'm from. So that's what I do. Oh, wonderful. I think um, for each one of us, uh, we have different ways uh, to begin our sessions. And I think it all depends, also depends on the way we are feeling, thinking on that day, our personal mood. If I may, I would also like our listeners to send us their beginnings. Is there something that you do? Is there a song that you sing? Is there a ritual that you have? Is there a trick that you would like to share with others that you think will be a good, good beginning of a show or a story? If you have something really, really typical that you would like to share with others, send it to us, write to us, or put it up on social media, tag us, tag Feast, and we would be very, very happy to go along and share that with all our listeners. So this week on Story Clinic, we spoke to Roger Jenkins and we had some very interesting questions from our tellers from all over Asia. So Roger, the first question, what do you think are the main skills or the skill sets a storyteller must have? I think first of all, of course, you have to have a love of story. If you, you know, don't enjoy the stories and that sense of uh, characters and a, a plot that's unfolding and so on then it's very difficult for you to become emotionally involved uh, yourself. I think uh, as we are oral storytellers rather than 
primarily visual storytellers, then a love of words and the sound of language, the rhythm of language, the choice of words that you want to use, which of course will depend very much on your audience too. And thirdly, I think a very strong sense of why you want to tell this particular story to this particular audience on this particular occasion. Because as you, you know, you have so many stories that you could choose, but you're going to have to choose a particular story. So uh, that's a very important choice to make. So a continuation from that, Roger, how do you choose your stories? Well, it's the stories that speak to me. When something happens in them that surprises me or I find myself uh, choking up or, you know, the proverbial hairs at the back of your neck, the stories that make me laugh out loud, or if perhaps sometimes I feel that there is a pressing need that this particular audience, I want them to hear this story about perhaps because of what's in the news, tolerance or harmony, compromise, this kind of thing. And I feel, yeah, now is the time to tell this story. Wow. I've heard so many storytellers say this and I completely second it. We don't choose stories. The stories choose us. You're Absolutely. Right Again, it's kind of a story sometimes from a page or you hear someone tell a story and it speaks to you in a way and it's just irresistible, isn't it? You just, yeah, I want to share this story. Absolutely. So, uh, Roger, what do you think one should do in a live performance, you know, when the engagement of the audience goes down? Are there some tricks? <laughs> Well, uh, speak louder, speak faster. You're trying to work out why is the engagement drifting. It can be because you're competing with something else. Perhaps the story is too long, and so you need to now start pruning drastically, heavily, trying to move forward, get away from the the description, and really get to the next. What is the you know? You know that there's a funny moment coming on, or there's a, a, a dramatic moment. Try and get to that as quickly as possible. I think we mentioned in the when we talked about our openings how a strong sense of rhythm is a great way, particularly if the kids have to do something physical with that rhythm, is a great way to grab and hold people's attention. If there's a rap element to it, this is a way that even the most recalcitrant boys usually will be drawn into it because they're picked up. And you don't give them an option because they, they have to move uh, with it. But I think it is important that in structuring your program, you, you look for variety in terms of length. So I would never start with something that's a very big, long story, just in case I've misread the audience and, oh my goodness me, I've got another 20 minutes of this. You know, try and, and make sure you've got a sense of your audience before you launch into your biggest or most challenging story. Thank you so much, Roger, for sharing with us some fabulous insights today. I'm sure with the help of these, our listeners will be able to surely enrich their storytelling craft. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. And that was our expert storyteller, Roger Jenkins from Singapore. If you have any questions that you would like to be answered by our story experts, do write to us on feaststory at gmail.com and we shall take them up in our upcoming story clinics.
Moving on to our final segment. In Fortune Cookie, we have another Korean delight narrated by Sui Yen. Once upon a time, Sui Yen as a teacher delighted her students with a daily dose of stories to entertain and educate. She now performs for all audiences in schools, museums, libraries and carries out workshops for teachers, for senior citizens and organizations. She is currently the president of the Storytelling Association Singapore. In many Korean folk tales, the magistrate is often portrayed as someone foolish. Perhaps it is because people feared the powerful magistrate in those days, and the way for common people to relieve themselves was to tell humorous stories about him. This is a tale adapted from Kathy Smagnoli's A Fine Moon. A rich magistrate was posted to a new city. He looked forward to his new home that was bigger than the previous one. When he arrived, he was impressed with the mother-of-pearl inlaid lacquer furniture. Smooth, delicate, expensive. He had more servants than before. He was pleased. All these belonged to him. That night, he had a feast in the house. And then he opened his windows to look out. There, above the garden pond, was a lovely, full moon. Bright and shining like a round silver plate in the sky. This is perfect. This house, this garden, this moon are all for me to enjoy. Three days later, when he opened the windows, the moon was only a sliver. He called his head servant. That beautiful round moon that I saw three days ago, what happened to it? Where is it? The servant was speechless. He wasn't sure how to answer the magistrate. He certainly, he certainly didn't want to offend his new master. He didn't want to say the wrong thing. Sir, I, I, I don't know where it went. Well, find it. If someone stole it, get it back. If you need to buy one, I will give you money to buy it. I want a beautiful round moon above my garden pond. Make sure you bring back a round moon. Or I'll have you imprisoned. Yes, I will. The servant went home. He gathered his family members together and told them about his problem. Shaking his head, he said, I'm sorry. Soon I will not be able to provide for all of you. For the magistrate, he has demanded a round moon that I cannot buy. I will be imprisoned. The head servant's daughter comforted her father. She had learned from her teacher about the changing faces of the moon. She told her father that she would help him. She told him what to do. 
The next day, the head servant went to the magistrate. Sir, I have found people who can make you a round moon, but they say that they need time to hang it above your pond. They need time to get it ready. So please do not open your windows. Keep your windows closed at all times. These people need to concentrate. They will work hard to get it ready for you. You must not disturb them. And for the next few days, every night, the magistrate could hear hammering and sawing. He smiled. These people, they work hard even at night. A week later, when the real moon has changed to a full moon, the head servant quickly ran to the magistrate. Sir, great news! Your moon is ready. Allow me to open the windows so you can enjoy it. When the servant opened the windows, the magistrate was pleased. He was in. It was indeed silver and round. Ah, isn't it beautiful? With that, we come to the end of our first episode of Story Walk. We hope our Korean platter delighted your story buds. Story Walk is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other leading podcasting platforms. Subscribe to the Story Walk and remember to share it with your friends and family. And remember to follow us for a nourishing and storylicious tour through Asia. Every month, you can write to us on feeststory at gmail dot com or storywalk at gmail dot com to tell us what you think about this episode. This is Rituparna Ghosh, and on behalf of my co-host for this episode, Meher Gehi, and other co-producers of the Storywalk podcast, thank you for listening to our episode.